We think of Christianity as a religion centered on the death on the cross of Jesus of Nazareth and his subsequent resurrection from the dead. While we can reconstruct from historical sources and archaeological finds what it was like to be crucified and the excruciatingly painful and prolonged death process, we know after all what crucifixion and the death on the cross was. The same cannot be said of the resurrection. Was resurrection a revivification? Was it an awakening from a coma-like state? Was it an emergence into a different kind of continued existence? Was it something spiritual? Was it physical, as in the body that was crucified reanimated into life? Or are the claims that Jesus was resurrected to be understood as visions, or as emotional reaction to the loss, as cognitive dissonance? All of these questions have been posed and answered in different and sometimes widely divergent ways in the course of Christian history and in the writings of Christian theologians. So, is the resurrection a historical event or is it something else? I am Gerard van den Heuvel, Professor of New Testament and Early Christian Studies in the Department of Biblical and Ancient Studies at the University of South Africa. And with me here today to talk about resurrection is Peter Bota, also a Professor in New Testament and Early Christian Studies at the University of South Africa. Peter Bota has devoted much of his career to the historical study of Christian origins, the historical Jesus, and the formation of Jesus' traditions, and has a special interest in the question of what is history and what it means to understand historically. Peter, welcome. I want to take you back to the annual meeting of the New Testament Society of Southern Africa of 1989 that had as its theme the resurrection of Jesus in historical perspective. From a number of perspectives, such as the religio-historical context of resurrection beliefs, the rhetoric of presentations of resurrection in the earliest Christian literature, the social science of such visions, etc., critical historical questions were asked about what stands in the core of what Christianity is. And yet, after just over 30 years, it seems as if the project of the historical questioning of resurrection did not make any impact on the scholarship in the South African context. And with some nuancing, the same can be said of Europe and North America. I would like you to reflect on this resistance to historical questioning of the resurrection as historical event. Why is it acceptable and safe? to do historical critical study of other aspects of the formation of early Christian discourse, but not this topic. Uh, thank you, Gerard, for this opportunity, participating in uh, your uh, putting together material uh, for this very interesting uh, module. I want to uh, uh, start by agreeing with you on the importance of that annual meeting and the papers presented at the New Testament Society uh, of South Africa uh, in 1989. Uh, it was a remarkable event 
and very interesting and important papers were read at that uh, conference. <clears throat> but you are quite correct in noticing that uh, few people seem to know about this and that the development uh, and the implications of the research presented at that conference uh, somehow remain in obscurity. It, uh, it, it did not make an impact on our daily religious discourse and to this day we instead can detect a strong resistance to critical thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. And I think it is good to just reflect a little bit on why this resistance to critical scholarship uh, with regard to not just the resurrection of Jesus, but also to biblical scholarship uh, and um, uh, uh, critical thinking in uh, theological reflection uh, in a wider sense. And uh, I, of course, there are a number of reasons for any such uh, development, such such lack of development, uh, for resistance to um, historical critical study. Uh, but one of the uh, things that we as South Africans need to face up to is that there is a lack of religious maturity in our societies, in our in our in our contexts. You know, when uh, Christianity came to, or the, rather, let's say, the way that Christianity came to South Africa, let's let's be honest about it. It uh, it came in a missionary guise. Uh, the Christianity that we uh, learned in South Africa was the was the Christianity of missionaries and even and uh, 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 and even the Europeans who came to South who made South Africa their home in the 18th and 19th centuries were people with a very strong evangelistic background and these traditions are very resistant to change and growth it is inherent part of the dynamic of the evangelistic and missionary perspective on Christianity. And uh, for many reasons, we as South Africans got stuck in that mode of thinking. Uh, uh, so that, uh, well, of course, we had many other battles to fight, we had many other th things to be concerned about and so on. And so in a way you can say it is perfectly understandable that uh, we are, in a way, latecomers to the scene of critical thinking. I use the word latecomers uh, is, is, uh, based on a study by a historian who wrote about um, uh, historiographical developments in South Africa. And he used the German word verspätet to indicate our, to describe our um, uh, situation, which means, uh, the, 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 the verb means something like coming late, uh, to be late on the scene, sort of missing the bus. And that is an interesting description of historiographical developments in South Africa. It's only in the last few decades that uh, uh, a more meaningful and critical thinking about history has become part of the South African uh, intellectual discourse. And of course, it would not have been different in, um, uh, uh, in biblical studies. 
and so it is uh, uh, part of a wider development this this that this resistance to historical critical thinking which is only changing in the past few years in the past two decades uh, another very prominent uh, South African Old Testament scholar uh, said that uh, biblical and theological scholarship in South Africa can be characterized as ahistorical and anti-historical critical. And that observation, I think, is true to right up to, to the end of the 20th century. Uh, we uh, had a, 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 a resistance to to rethinking our own beliefs and our commitments even on religious uh, scenery. So many things were changing and needed to change that somehow we missed the bus of also adapting and accepting change in our thinking about um, history and history with regard to our religious convictions. Thank you, Peter. Um, but also as a way of getting into our main discussion question, in a recent Afrikaans newspaper uh, article, the historian uh, journalist Leopold Scholz published an opinion piece in which he reacted to a previous debate on the resurrection of Jesus. His argument in favor of the traditional theological viewpoint that the resurrection really occurred hinges on four main points. The first is the historicity of the New Testament writings, namely being written close to the events. Secondly, the different narrations and absence of complete conformity, which is taken as evidence of historical credibility. Thirdly, the kind of witnesses who witnessed the resurrection, that it was women who were normally not regarded as reliable witnesses, that's an uncomfortable detail that would otherwise have been papered over. And finally, something that is so counter to the laws of nature presents an insurmountable problem for academic historical study. And then only a theological answer remains. You either believe or you don't. You responded to this uh, opinion article in an online site, but could you quickly recap here your response to the, his article? Because it is my impression that the four areas he addressed also circumscribe the current contours of debates in the field elsewhere. Uh, Gerard, I think uh, I want to start my uh, elaboration on this uh, uh, discussion with the the main point in that uh, Leopold Scholz does not make a proper distinction between data and evidence and what I want to uh, point to is data refers to things material things that we have As any historian starts working with some data objects archaeological objects, some ancient texts and so on, so we have data. But you need to interpret that data to determine what they are, these uh, material artifacts, what they are evidence for. 
it isn't you cannot just observe something and say it is evidence for something you need to interpret you need to analyze you need to critically describe analyze and interpret before you can say something is evidence for something and that is the fundamental problem that we find with especially conservative or fundamentalistic uh, 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 scholarship so-called scholarship because you cannot simply assume that data equals evidence what you see is not necessarily what is there so to speak interpretation analysis is always at stake and that that is the point we need to analyze you cannot just say but the text say this you need to interpret the text if you do not properly interpret the text you have evidence for anything you can make literally anything of that piece of data because you have to with by means of an argument by means of analysis by means of comparison by means of contextualizing by means of setting up other alternatives and hypotheses it, only then you can say but this is evidence for something and so the the main the crucial thing here is that i want to convey uh, to you is uh, if you do not put that analysis and and uh, interpretive description on the table we do not know how did you get from this piece of data to that kind of evidence and so part of it is is these gospel texts really evidence for uh, is it as simple as to say but they these texts are evidence for the resurrection of jesus they are evidence for stories told by some believers to achieve certain ends that is what we have not not reports not video uh, recordings we have stories told with an interest to achieve certain objects we need to interpret them and contextualize them before we can say they are evidence for something there are many ways that i can uh, explain this uh, gerard but there's a useful text in uh, a roman writer of the late uh, first century called uh, Suetonius, and Suetonius wrote um, a sort of a, a ancient Roman biographies of 12 emperors and in his, his biography of the emperor uh, Octavian or Augustus as we know him it, it, he reports that some say that when his mother Augustus's mother went to the temple to pray uh, a, a God in the shape of a snake um, impregnated her and she got pregnant with this boy uh, that's how she got pregnant with the boy who became the Emperor Augustus now if you want to simply say that the data equals evidence you need to say well a sex a, a, a snake had intercourse with a woman which led to the birth of a boy who became an emperor, which is nonsense. We, 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 we can clearly see, we need to reflect, we need to interpret and understand, 
but Suetonius is telling not a biography. He is telling a sort of a saucy story about an emperor so that the people listening to his story about Emperor Augustus would be intrigued. They would be titillated. They would be uh, excited. Oh, where did you get this? And so on. That is the kind. And that he could say, but there is the, yeah, well, this is the kind of stories we tell about people who became very famous. They have some mystical connections to the gods and so on. So once you have un interpreted the story, you know what you have evidence for. And uh, 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 if I may, just, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the issue of historical interpretation, that was my, 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 my problem with that uh, contribution of Leopold Scholz in that it is, it, is, it is naive history. When, the way that he dates the Gospels, for instance, you cannot say because something is not reported in a Gospel, uh, in, in the book of Acts, he reasons that there's, there's no reference to the death of James, the brother of Jesus, in the book of Acts. And because there's no reference to the death of James, Therefore, the book must have been written before the death of James, which is nonsense. Uh, if you want to reason like that, every text that does not refer to something must be dated before that event. And so just look at your, uh, 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 there are so many examples that if you, that is poor reasoning. Because something is not reported, has no implication as such for the dating of the gospel. And also about the issue of eyewitnesses. Um, the, 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 the issue of eyewitnesses is uh, anyone who has been involved in a court case will know how complicated the claim of eyewitnessing is. It is not that simple. But what is interesting in that all of the Gospels, all of the Gospels, we can only with some certainty say something about one eyewitness, namely a woman, uh, 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 Mary Magdalene. The Gospels differ extensively on who were with her, or how many women could have been with her, and what happened. And so to say that we have eyewitness reports, uh, let me just also point out, uh, Gerard, the contradiction in uh, Skoltz's argument. On the one hand, he claims that we have a completely unnatural event something that cannot be explained by natural laws and natural laws amongst others would mean something witness it. If, if you can witness something, it is a natural event. Uh, but then uh, this is on the one hand part of his argument that we have an, a completely unnatural event, something completely outside of the laws of nature, but yet he wants to claim that eyewitnesses saw this, which Clearly, no eyewitness will be believed saying, I saw something that no one can ever see possibly. So, you note the importance of yeah. interpreting and analyzing yeah. and so on. Uh, uh, but I think, let me just reiterate, the main point that we, when we approach these gospel things, not just the resurrection of Jesus, we have to keep in mind, we cannot just read off facts. Uh, we have to interpret, analyze, compare, contextualize, and it becomes all part of a very complex 
argument when we start to, uh, uh, discussing so-called real events. Right. We'll come to that later, but uh, it seems to me um, what you are already now indicating between the lines is um, that what we miss here by reading history or purported history like this is that somehow uh, we don't see the uh, mediated nature of it. We don't see that it's, it's not just straightforward access to something that happened, but uh, um, it's mediated through a text that does its own thing. We'll come to that uh, uh, later. Um, but to um, think about debates about the resurrection in the New Testament studies in the last two decades, it seems there's a groundswell of such studies. You just look at the list of publications from famous authors and the books. Um, it seems like a new millennium thing, it's particularly after the start of the new millennium. And um, what would you say, uh, why is this? What is the reason why this debate on the resurrection is taking place now and taking the shape it takes? Um, and it's... Um, uh, it's quite a strong debate. Uh, uh, is it a proxy issue for something else? And you see the dividing lines in the scholarly communities. Um, it really, it's like a dividing line between, let's say, critical scholarship, more evangelical scholarship. It's uh, so clearly uh, demarcated, these uh, lines of division. How is this debate on the resurrection? And even the... Uh, and uh, the even scholarly insistence that it is a real historical physical occurrence responding to social discourses and concerns why now why do we, why do we make so much of it now uh, Harold, of course it's not simple to say it's because of this or or that it's not one thing it's one simple thing that one can point to but you are quite right uh, there is this uh, flurry of interest in the uh, historicity of the uh, uh, Jesus' resurrection, which is a very interesting and remarkable uh, development. And it's, it's fairly recent. And uh, we need to ask, why is this? You are quite right. And part of, let me return to this issue of doing historical work is, you know, good history is not just contextualizing the data we analyze, but it is also contextualizing the historian doing the analysis. Oh, yeah. And so uh, what is often missing in uh, uh, studies of the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus, and for that matter, the historicity of other important religious figures is a, a proper critical reflection on the investigators context and interests and you are quite right when you use the word proxy because by not doing that we are hiding that this discussion is a proxy for something else and part of what uh, we are uh, uh, inheriting a long neglect uh, and that is the lack of self-critical refle self reflection 
in religious and historical investigation of religious uh, traditions. In that uh, there is this pretense that we can be objective uh, and that our history is like measuring distance or it is like weighing something uh, something concrete like a stone but history is not like that history is a way of claiming identity history is a way of saying who we are and what is important to us and uh, the, the and, and and this ostensibly uh, uh, objective investigations of the historicity of Jesus ignores that there's there are proxy matters of proxy involved here and we need to uh, critically look at uh, why now because uh, we live in a the uh, recent developments worldwide is a move to uh, identity politics that somehow some should be more important than others that some stories are somehow more important than others and as part of that we make use as we've always done make use of Jesus and the early apostles and so on to implicitly substantiate our own need for uh, certain identity formations and so on that that is one part of how I would respond to to that I like your emphasis uh, on this um, that we need to do a dual interpretation it's uh, both interpreting a historical text that purports to speak about things that uh, predates the text itself uh, but also on another level we need to interpret ourselves uh, and think uh, of what we're um, what we're doing here and why we're doing it yeah and and, and you know Gerard and, and uh, I for everyone listening you <laughs> uh, listening to us I I want to emphasize, you know, you need to see the interconnections between things. Uh, to say I want to analyze something means that you are looking from a certain point, you have a certain point of view. We are all standing somewhere, not just uh, there's, there, and when it comes to a critical discussion, there's, we, there's no nowhere that you can speak from. You are always speaking from somewhere. And we need to be aware that uh, I am and, and be responsible today. I am speaking for my point of view today is one that is informed by science, by evolution, by cosmology, uh, by psychology, by uh, political sociology. Uh, these things determine where I stand. And that is how one looks at things. You cannot ignore that. And to make a claim that this is a supernatural event this there's a lack of serious reflection in that claim because you 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 need to state clearly and explicitly how involved and interrelated things are in one's life and when i mentioned where are the inheritors to a, a long neglect early in the 20th century theologians became aware of the changes in worldview that was taking place globally uh, but especially in the western world and somehow we uh, have struggled to come to terms with that insight that we live in a changed world we are no longer first century romans we are no longer 
fourth century um, priests. Uh, we are uh, we live in a very different world, and our discourse has changed, and that is that is a, a, a part of our challenge. Thank you for that. Um, um, we can really hear uh, how you speak with a passion. Um, uh, but now let's come back to the 1989 conference uh, on the resurrection of Jesus in historical perspective. Now they've, uh, we've given away part of the game when we talked about the historical perspective and the historicity already. Uh, could you give us a short overview of the contents of the published papers from that conference? Um, what, uh, for instance, in short, were the contours of the debate and the gist of what was presented? And then place this particular historical critical questioning of the resurrection within the context of the society itself, its history of conference topics, preferred methodologies, and also within the context of South Africa at the time. And maybe if you uh, want to touch on that, uh, um, how would you place this within the study of the New Testament in Southern Africa um, in the recent years? So, uh, Gerard, um, just to reiterate, that was a remarkable conference. For those uh, interested, uh, the papers uh, presented there were published in the journal New Testamentica in volume 23, the second issue of 1989. So you could uh, easily find these and follow up on your own uh, discussion uh, for your own uh, development and interest uh, these papers. And it was a remarkable conference and it is a pity that uh, the society, the New Testament Society of Southern Africa, did not succeed in uh, both popularizing these uh, insights that was uh, presented there, but also uh, to pursue it further, particularly with reference to the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and many factors contributed to that, but uh, that is uh, what it is. It is it is what it is, and um, uh, it's it's nice to draw attention uh, once more to these uh, uh, papers. Uh, so uh, a number of papers uh, were uh, uh, pre uh, presented there, and most of them had a historical interest whether it was religio-historical or socio-historical and so on, but there were a number of uh, contributions deliberately uh, uh, dealing with historical problems with regard to the resurrection of Jesus. I want to draw attention to two contributions that uh, made use of the German theologian Rudolf Bultmann, uh, who uh, is not the most popular theologian in, um, in the Southern African context, but still one of the most significant thinkers in this regard of the 20th century, and still worth taking seriously. Just to reiterate a bit, if I may, Gerard, Rudolf Bultmann became very quickly aware that we... Um, 20th century people, and later of course, live in a very different world than the early Christians lived in. This is not to say that they were stupid, the early Christians, the, 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 the first century Greco-Roman people, 
It's not to say that they were stupid or undeveloped. It is just a different world. It is a problem that we as South Africans should be very familiar with. That uh, culture and historical developments make a huge difference between people. That we may use the same words, but mean very, very different things. And so as South Africans, we should actually be, uh, we have a long tradition of grappling with this uh, challenge of understanding across historical and cultural differences. And so we should be, uh, one should think we should be very sympathetic to the efforts of Rudolf Bultmann, who realized, but we, we cannot take these texts as they are. We need to use, we need to find something, some interest that we and they shared. And based on that common interest, we can interpret their stories, but also make sense of their stories in our time. And uh, it is that, the question of that shared interest between us and them, that uh, Rudolf Bultmann spent most of his work uh, trying to explicate. And two papers at this conference, the one was by uh, Dr. Chris Schnell, uh, discussing the tenden tendencies in the synoptic resurrection tradition, uh, with the reference to Rudolf Bultmann, and uh, also uh, Professor uh, Pelzer, uh, who explicitly referred to Rudolf Bultmann's program of demythologizing and the resurrection narratives in John. So this demythologizing is a way of saying we need to unpack ancient stories in, uh, and, and understand that they are embedded in a very different worldview. And once we can unpack and find something behind or below or inside these uh, ancient ways of talking, uh, we can relate to that. And it's, it's still a useful, I would not say the, the, the answer to all our problems, but it's still a useful way of thinking about um, the resurrection. Some of the other papers, uh, Professor Willem Forster um, uh, 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 presented something on the religio-historical context of the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection faith in the New Testament in which he points out that this kind of stories that we have in the Christian tradition about someone rising from the dead in whatever way is, is not unfamiliar in the Greco-Roman context. In fact, it is a, it's a very prominent um, aspect of ancient religions. And so that in that way, uh, in that sense, the New Testament is not that different. In fact, that is one of the things that this, our courses at UNISA wants to convey to our students is that the New Testament is first and foremost an ancient, a collection of ancient texts. They are Greco-Roman documents. Uh, and that their Christian elements or characteristics are just part of being Greco-Roman ancient texts. And uh, Professor Foster's paper uh, uh, contributes a bit to that uh, 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 insight. Um, uh, uh, Professor van Aarde uh, 
presented a paper on reading the, especially the resurrection narrative in the Gospel of Matthew as an, a part of how Christians and Jews were arguing with each other and separating their ways. Keep in mind that historically speaking, the very first followers of Jesus and probably till uh, for much of the first century, all Christians were basically some form of, for, of, 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 of early Judaism. And so that they, these were Jews and they were trying to find ways to say that who we are and what is our identity. And he reads the resurrection narrative in Matthew uh, as part of that separation of, um, let's say, Christian or believing or Jesus, Jesus followers and more orthodox conservative uh, 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 Jews, which is a, a very interesting way to look at these, uh, this, uh, this, those narratives and so on. There were also uh, uh, presentations on Emmaus by uh, Professor Scheffler, uh, 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 1 Corinthians 15 by Professor uh, Johannes Foster, and then uh, Professor André de Toy uh, discussed a primitive Christian belief uh, in uh, uh, the evidence that we find for that in the Pauline letters. And lastly, I want to draw attention to, uh, there are also some other papers by um, uh, Professor Norkia Mayer of uh, University of Johannesburg on John the Baptist. But I want to draw, uh, lastly, some attention to a contribution by Professor Crawford, uh, our colleague, um, who used was one of the initiators of social scientific criticism in a South African uh, context, and he starts with a very simple thing: when we talk about context, we need to use insights, models, and theories from the proper social sciences. When we want to contextualize something, uh, we cannot we cannot say on our own what a context is. We need to learn from sociology, from cultural anthropology. We need to learn from them. How do you contextualize something that is not familiar to oneself? And uh, this paper was one of the uh, um, uh, initiating papers of this interest, a very strong uh, South African interest eventually in social scientific criticism. Of course, you did not mention it now, but you also read a paper at that conference. Um, could you say something about your paper and how it speaks to the issue of resurrection? Um, uh, thank you, uh, Gerard. Uh, we, uh, uh, you know, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark is always interesting to discuss in a historical context. It is uh, typically regarded as the earliest of the Gospels. And so, uh, for many reasons, uh, scholars tend to think there must be there's some more importance to the way that the Gospel of Mark tells things, because it is our earliest uh, 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 extensive story, extended story on, on, on Jesus. Now, <clears throat> In my contribution, I wanted to emphasize that this is first and foremost a story. 
The Gospel of Mark is first and foremost a story. It is not a report. It is not a tape recording. It is, it is, it, 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 it may be a lot of things, but it is not uh, uh, a direct uh, report or recording of the events of this. So that, that was one of the first things that I wanted to emphasize. And so. You mean it's not a CNN video, <laughs> video reportage? Yeah, it's uh, Mark. Not, not made on the spot. <laughs> Mark was not a news reporter with a camera and then writing up the, the so-called what was uh, 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 happening. He was telling a story and uh, what I wanted to convey is also that we need to grasp something of what Mark wants to say. Not what he is, what he is reporting. The, 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 the first question is not, did it happen? The first question should be, what does Mark want to convey to us? And, um, as, and Mark himself does not want to emphasize this or that happened. Mark himself puts the question of knowledge secondarily. He wants to achieve certain effects with, his, uh, with the listeners to his story. And to summarize, what he wants to point out is if you want to follow Jesus, it is a frightening thing. Keep in mind, uh, keep in mind the, the, the resurrection uh, bit of the Gospel of Mark is by far the shortest of all the Gospels. It is literally only a few sentences. And the Gospel ends, the Gospel of Mark ends in a very strange way. He reports, according to Mark, the women were afraid, they ran, the, the women ran away, they didn't say anything to anyone, in other words, no one could know what happened, according to Mark, and the reason for this was, and this is his last word, literally his last word, because they were afraid. So why would you end the story about Jesus, which starts off so positively, so constructively, he heals people. He gives them food. He assists them. Why would you end with they, they were afraid? Because Mark wants to emphasize the cost of discipleship. And that is his point. Not what happened as such, but that these happenings must make you afraid. The, most, the turning point in the Gospel of Mark is not as often said, uh, Peter's confession and Jesus' correction of that. All of that is a build-up on the way to the temple. Then in Mark 12, the, Jesus and his disciples are in the temple. And then at the beginning of Mark 13, they exit the temple. And then we find the structure, the prophecies of the destruction of the temple, Jesus' arrest, his, 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 his trial, and his death, and the, 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 the end of the story. The turning point is in the temple where people are getting out of their wealth, out of their prosperity, they are uh, uh, contributing, they are giving money to the temple course. And then Jesus notes a poor widow who gives two little copper coins, which is completely worthless, completely worthless, it can probably only buy a piece of bread. And he notes, look at that woman. She gave, not out of what she 
what out of her the, the much that she has but she gave and this is literally what Mark is saying she gave her whole life she was sacrificing her last piece of bread for the day and he uh, 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 and, and that this is what Mark is about it is about your whole life it is a frightening terrifying event to be confronted by Jesus this is what Mark wants to convey so and the the, the resurrection narrative is just a a part of reminding his listeners think very very deeply and carefully before you commit so to speak so that is what my paper was about I like that um, um, I really like the way you unpack uh, what you've done um, uh, of course uh, you did not say it here but uh, the title of your paper uh, is uh, the Greek words he is not here um, so you emphasized uh, that and this is what I wanted to uh, come back to um, basically um, um, towards the end of our talk um, I had the impression from your paper um, that the way in which texts speak about narrate or represent the resurrection of Jesus implies that the resurrection of Jesus is first and foremost a textual phenomenon a textual event. It is a story event that happened to a story character. The Gospels, as you uh, um, pointed out, are stories. Regardless of how many hooks they have into real events, as narrations, they rearrange whatever happened, uh, um, uh, rearrange, recolor, um, re-emphasize, they do things they do things with what is around them. And anything we claim about things pertaining to the life of Jesus comes through this mediation by means of narrative. Stories and narratives have been studied in the uh, theory of literature and so the Gospels share all the characteristics that other stories and narratives display. And for me, this has the implication that Gospels as stories do their social, their cultural and ideological work, like any other narrative text. But also, and here the question of history comes in, history is not the purported events that happened outside of the text. History, the historical event, is the act of narration or representation the historical event is the speech act in its context. How do you think your paper and your subsequent study of the history of early Christianity interact with critical theories of history? And what effect would you say does that have on our understanding of the resurrection of Jesus? Perhaps even belief in the resurrection in general. So once we study the history of early Christianity and we do this uh, through critical theories of history how does that change our understanding of the resurrection of Jesus and does that actually say something or change anything to our belief in the resurrection Gerard, appreciation for emphasizing the issue of narrative and text and so on um, it, it is it, just to remind uh, ourselves and uh, uh, those listening uh, to, to our, our discussion 
the, by emphasizing that we have uh, only texts and narratives, that history is always a point of view, is not to say that there's not something. There is. It's not about denying. It's it. It is. It's a way of moving beyond an either-or way of thinking. In other words, the real question is not did it happen in in a an either-or way of thinking. An either-or way of thinking is a poor way of thinking. You you will never win an argument if it is either-or. And, 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 and that, is, that is also in other aspects of life. Uh, keep in mind, there is, it is always, there's always something more. If, if life was as simple as either or, well, I can solve everything because I'm, the, I'm, I'm right. And, and let me tell you how you are wrong. Because if it's only either this or that. But life, history, meaning in life, faith, all these things are more. It is complex, it's interwoven, they are touched upon. So by emphasizing that uh, we have uh, uh, stories about Jesus' resurrection is to, is to move beyond this either-or way of saying, either you, either I am right and you are wrong uh, or you are wrong and I am uh, you are right and I am wrong. This either-or way is a is a a simplifying, reductionist, and invalid way of thinking about history. So when we say about, uh, when we emphasize that these uh, stories are, that that history in a way is just stories, and it is it is to move beyond this, just the mere facticity. So do you, when you make the claim, it did happen like that. That does anything change outside? Nothing changes. But when you tell a different story, when you improve your story, yes, things do change outside. Because in the end, Harat, if I may sort of jump ahead to what I want to point out about a, a, a brief review of the gospel narratives, is what these uh, gospel narrators are doing is they are telling a story about a life, but implicitly also about their lives. And what we, what we, we should start off is asking, what is the story one wants to tell about your own life? And what stories would you like other people to tell about you? What are those stories that they will tell about you? And, uh, and, 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 and so, so this is what I want to build up to. So when we look at the Gospels, you know, I, I, I said something about what Mark wants to achieve with his Gospel. Uh, Luke has a different, and he slants his resurrection narratives. He wants to show, Luke wants to show that uh, if you look at the world, you have the great Greek culture in his time. And next to them, a, a bit of a newcomer, the Roman culture, all great cultures. And then you have next to them also the Jews, the Jewish culture, a very ancient, very impressive culture. And now here are we Christians, and we can take our place alongside them. We tell the same stories they tell, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews. 
we Christians, we tell the same stories. We have, we see the same things in our stories that we tell, that they tell. You can see the same things. Um, uh, uh, miraculous births, uh, healings, um, and even resurrection stories, and visions uh, post-death, and all this. So we, as Christians, this is Luke, Luke's point of view, he wants to say, we as we, we, we Christians can take our rightful place alongside these other great uh, traditions. Something that we can learn from Luke today, I think. Uh, Matthew wants to emphasize there are a problem with, according to Matthew's point of view, there are problems with early Judaism. But if we look at how Jesus presented Judaism and reinterpreted uh, uh, or developed Judaism, uh, we can find ways of somehow reaching to what is Israel about, what is true Israel. That, those are more Matthew's words. And he shapes his resurrection narrative to show how this is the, according to Matthew's point of view, this is a sort of like a culmination of what to his mind is proper Judaism. And John, on the other hand, John is in a way far more radical. John paints Jesus as the man from heaven. In John's point of view, there is only Jesus' friends and the world. There is, John is in a way the most dualistic. And he wants to emphasize with Jesus' resurrection. It is down to the world or being a friend of Jesus. And it is in this sense that I think we can uh, move beyond just arguing about did it happen, but what did people thought and believed happened towards achieving certain ends by interpreting what they believed happened. There's no doubt that these, most of these early Christians believed that Jesus rose from the dead. But the, the, what did they want to achieve? So we move beyond an either or, did it or didn't it, to what was the purpose, what was the, 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 the intent of these narratives. And by engaging those aspects, we ourselves become more aware of the complexity and interwovenness of things. A brief response there. Well, thank you. Um, this is um, a wide-ranging uh, discussion uh, we had this morning. We started with a conference, um, an opinion piece in a, in a newspaper, and uh, you took us through interpretations of the uh, resurrection narratives in the Gospels. And I think, uh, hopefully, um, those who listen uh, to this uh, podcast will uh, recognize that um, there's been... Um, uh, some thought-provoking provo thought things uh, raised here. Um, thank you, Peter, for um, checking in and visiting uh, the podcast. Uh, and um, all the best uh, for uh, the rest of your study career uh, in historical matters. Uh, Gerard, thank you for this opportunity. It is uh, with uh, some humility that I acknowledge the, 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 the privilege to have been part of this. Thank you. Thank you.